Our text this morning comes from Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13. The Hebrew writer says, Exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. There's a warning there. A warning against allowing our hearts to become hardened. It's a warning that's addressed to people who are familiar with the Word of God. It's something that's applicable to every one of us gathered this morning in this assembly. The writer talks about hearts that are hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You see, hardness of our hearts comes to us when we get older and when we're no longer children. When we're children, our hearts are tender. Our hearts are pliable. Think, if you will, about the music that we heard as babies and as small children. For most of us, the first music we ever heard was that of our mothers as they would sing to us. And it didn't matter if mother's singing sounded like a dying calf in a rainstorm. It was the most beautiful music that we ever heard as children. It was the music that soothed us as infants in the crib and soothed us as small children in our mother's arms. More often than not, that music was expressed in such tender songs as Jesus loves me, this I know. I remember when Bryant was a baby. Norma would hold him close and she would sing that song to him. And then he got older and he started to Sunday school and they would sing that song. And then about two years old, if she started to sing that song to him, Bryant would say, no, 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 not that song. Because Bryant associated Jesus Loves Me as the song that meant it was time to stop playing. And it was time to go to sleep. As children, all of us were fascinated by the Bible stories we heard. And those Bible stories were told to us by the greatest of all theologians, our mothers. All of us here, we know the things of God. And for us, here is a message of warning. Lest any of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. No more solemn warning was ever uttered by any of the apostolic writers. There are no words to which we must or should give the more earnest heed written anywhere else. The word that should startle us. The word that should actually speak to the depths of our hearts from this passage is the word hardened. Over the years I've known folks so deadly afraid of sin. So fearful of some specific sin like drunkenness or drugs or robbery or adultery. Afraid. 
concerned, even worried that they or someone they love might become entangled in some specific sin. But it's better <coughs> to be in the clutches of some specific sin than it is to be hardened. Did you catch that? It's better to be in the clutches of a specific sin than it is to have a heart that is hardened. For that man or that woman who is in the clutches and the vice grip of some specific sin, there is still hope if they are not hardened. But beloved, the peril of the hardened heart that is the most subtle kind of peril that there is. It's the peculiar peril of those who know the terms of the gospel. Those who know the conditions of the gospel. I doubt that you could find anyone in this room who's hardened, or anywhere else. I don't think you could find anyone on the top side of God's green earth who's hardened that does not know the specific terms of the gospel. And yet there are many in our city this morning, many in our city who are unfamiliar with the terms of the gospel. They don't really know the Christ that you read about upon the pages of the Bible. In fact, there are some in our city who are so vile and so vicious and so mean that we thank God that we're not like them. A lot of them live right next door to me. And yet, as vile and as vicious as they are, they are not hardened. Think about that word hardened. Think about the peril of being hardened. The very word hardened suggests a change in condition. There is no human being who ever starts out in life hard and cynical. No little child is hard. And yet human nature is essentially impressionable. You take a child, and you take a child in its earliest years out of any set of circumstances and put that child into new surroundings, you can mold that child's life to anything you want it to be. Every child is impressionable. But every child has the windows of their heart open toward the morning. And every little child indulges in romance. And for every little child, every new day brings an adventure. And every child sees visions and hope and dreams dreams. And every child is capable of tears and laughter almost in the same moment. Last week, Mason needed some new shoes to go to school. Well, there was nothing that could be done but 
his poppy and his Gigi had to take him to buy some new shoes. What kind of shoes you want, Mason? I want some Mario shoes that light up. Oh, you know, nothing real specific, right? Well, we found him some Mario shoes. One lights up red, one lights up green. And oh, he was the proudest little boy. And last Sunday, Ryan sent us a video of Mason with his Mario shoes and with them lighted up and him ready to go to church Sunday night. So excited with his new Mario shoes on. There was not a happier little boy to be found anywhere. And then after church, when he got home, the tears started flowing. Because he was told he was going to have to take his Mario shoes off to go to bed. That's a child. Their innocence, their understanding, the capability they have of being touched by the smallest of things and laughing and having tears. And yet, today, there are men and women that I know today who are hard and cynical and actually take pleasure and boast of the fact that they are hard and cynical. And sadly, they weren't always that way. If I could take you this morning, and I could place a hand on your shoulder and by some mysterious process take you back in time this morning, I'd do that. I'd take you back in time to a period of tenderness. I'd take you back to a time when your heart was soft. And pliable. And some folks would say, well, I'll tell you one thing. I'm glad that day is gone. Are you? If we only realized what we meant, that that day is gone, we would weep once more because we've lost our power to weep. You see, lest any of you be hardened, it suggests a process, and it suggests a change. What is it? What is this process of hardening? What are its symptoms? Well, we first begin to fight against tenderness because, well, that's childish. There was a time in all of our lives that everyone in this room would have shed tears over a dead canary. When was the last time any of us shed tears over lost souls? The fountain of tears, it's dried up for us. There was a time when every one of us in this room would have blushed awkwardly when we told a lie. Today there's no blush. There's no inward shame. We fill out our 1040 form with impunity. This hardening process. It's gone forward in our lives. And it goes forward in people's lives. Until this condition of hardness is reached. That's the inevitable result 
of the stifling of tears. The inevitable result of refusing to listen to consciousness and to our conscience. No tears. No conscience. No faith. Hardened. We're equal to dealing with the problems of business. But we're not equal to the commerce of eternity. We're equal to touching and handling forces that are merely the affairs of this life. But often we're not equal to laying hold on eternal life. In a word. We're quite equal to the dust and things of dust. But we're not equal to deity and fellowship with God. Let's bring this closer to home. Let's bring this down where we live. The time comes when a man or a woman who welled up with tears hearing the story of Jesus as a child today here's the story of the cross without one shred of emotion it's become old hat to us oh I've heard that before the day comes when one still listens to the terms of God's law but does not tremble The most difficult people to reach with the story of the cross are those who know it best and are unmoved by it to tears. The gospel no longer moves them to high aspirations. The gospel no longer moves them to great effort. How does it happen? How does it happen that people grow hard? What did the writer say? Hearts that are hardened <clears throat> through the deceitfulness of sin. It would be unfair to interpret sin in any other way than it's meant in our text by the Hebrew writer. Throughout the Hebrew letter, sin is unbelief. The entire argument of the Hebrew letter is designed to strengthen faith. And the writer makes an appeal against unbelief. And the sin that hardens hearts is the sin of unbelief. Now let, let's make sure we understand what we mean by belief and unbelief. By belief... We do not mean merely an intellectual assent to the facts of the gospel. It's possible for a man or a woman to believe intellectually all the truths contained in God's Word. And intellectually believing all the truths in God's Word still be lost for time and eternity. The mere fact that I'm convinced of the truth of the deity of Jesus... And of the atoning nature of his death, it will not save me. No man or woman today is saved by intellectual comprehension or by intellectual conviction. 
saving faith is belief that leads me to obey the truth that I am convinced of. To know the truth of God's Word. And then refuse to live it and refuse to obey it. To hear the message of Jesus Christ and assent to its accuracy. To bow in the presence of it intellectually and yet not answer its claim on my heart and life. That is the sin that hardens an individual's heart. And when someone disobeys in that way, they become hard. And they become hardened by the very truth that might have softened them. How does it happen? How can people commit this sin of unbelief? That, my friends, is the perpetual mystery of the ages. That is something that confronts and confounds every preacher today. Why? How? How can people hear the truth of God's Word and not obey what the Lord commands? Why? Why do people refuse to live God's kind of life? Why do people live God's kind of life only partially or only when it's convenient? Our text is indicative of the fact that the Hebrew writer perfectly understands the reason. The deceitfulness of sin make no mistake about it my friends sin has the effect upon us to harden our hearts sin blunts our powers sin blunts our perception sin deadens our conscience to the point that it's possible for me and for you as human beings to be totally unresponsive to the story of the cross. Sin dulls us to the point that we can hear the gospel and refuse it. And we can reject it until by and by our conscience is seared over as with a red hot iron. Quite certain that's what Paul had in mind in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. Paul speaks in that passage of certain individuals whose conscience has been seared over. Much like an animal that's been branded. Where that brand, hot branding iron has been applied underneath, the feeling has been destroyed. And that's what Paul's talking about. A conscience that's seared over as with a hot iron. He's talking about a conscience that's no longer alive. All sensitivity and feeling has been destroyed. That person may have the gospel preached over and over again. And the gospel is ineffective. Why? Because their heart has become hardened. Because they have stiffened their neck. Because they've become stubborn and rebellious. And because of this, <clears throat> the power of God to save has become ineffective to them.
Here's how Paul said the gospel was in the Corinthian letter. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ, in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other the savor of life unto life, and who is sufficient for these things. Now that's the King James Version. And it's a little hard for us to understand it. But the contemporary English Version brings that passage right down where we live, folks. In fact, it's right. God thinks of us as a perfume. Us. God thinks of us as a perfume that brings Christ to everyone. For people who are being saved, this perfume has a sweet smell and leads them to a better life. But for people who are lost, it has a bad smell and leads them to a horrible death. (laughs) If we are determined that we're going to live life our own way, and if we're determined we're going to be governed and guided by the dictates and passions of the flesh, The gospel of the Son of God is going to be a means of condemnation and death to us. So here's the question. Look at verse 15 of that third chapter. Today, if you will hear His voice, harden not your heart. If you've never responded to the love of God, would you do it today? And would you make Jesus Christ the Lord and Master of your life? Would you allow your faith to be more than a mental assent to the facts of the gospel? To allow your faith to be the simple trusting faith that believes that Christ is the Son of God. A faith that would lead you to repent of everything that sin in your life, confess His name and be buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of past sins. Or maybe once upon a time you did that. But through the deceitfulness of sin, over the years you've sung loudly, our God is alive, and you've lived as though God was dead. Over the years you've become and been a professing Christian and a practicing atheist. Would you let the story of Jesus Christ dying on a cruel, rough-hewn wooden cross, would you let it soften your heart once again as it did when you were a child? Would you respond to God's call? Would you submit to His authority? Would you obey Jesus Christ from the heart this morning and let Jesus be the Lord and Master of all of your life. It's His invitation as together we stand and while we sing.